With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Nebraska Public Media Sports brings you live coverage of the girls and boys NSAA High School Soccer Championships from Morrison Stadium at Creighton University. Tuesday, May 14th, see Class B boys at 5.30 p.m. Central and Class A boys at 8 p.m. Central on Nebraska Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hurt at Sports Radio. Something just, you do you. Play as hard as you can, as fast as you can, as long as you can. You don't worry. You want to get better at something, you work a little harder at it. And whatever you do, don't get a big hit. That's a trap. That's a deep, dark, lonely trap. But doing you is somebody that really wants to get good at football. You're passionate about it. You love it. You're a part of a team. We like to think of that as a Michigan man. Yeah, have at it. Kicking off hour number three here on Hurt Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. We're on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln for hour number three. We are brought to you by our friends at Dyer Law. If you've been hurt in a personal injury accident, hopefully that doesn't happen to you today, but the roads might be a little dicey. If something happens, you can count on the Dyer Law team to provide you with a helping hand when you need it. No matter what you're dealing with, call the Dyer Law team at 402-393-7529 or visit Dyer.Law to chat with trusted professionals about your personal injury claim. That's D-Y-E-R dot Law. Joining us now on the War Horse Sportsbook Hotline is Matt Hlodick from thespun.com. Matt, how are you this morning? Hey, I'm doing great, fellas. Always a pleasure to be on when you're talking some ball. Absolutely. We appreciate you joining us here on the day of the national championship game, Michigan and Washington. Matt, let me just start with this. If I had told you this was the matchup at the beginning of the season, what would your response to me have been? Well, I wouldn't have been surprised with Michigan because I thought that Michigan was, <clears throat> excuse me, was coming into the season was going to be in the playoff again, and I thought that um, this might have been like their year to cap really capitalize because it would have been tough for Georgia to, to three peat. Um, Alabama seemed to be a little bit down because of the quarterback situation coming into the year. And looking elsewhere around the country, you know, Texas was unproven. And, you know, the Pac-12, there wasn't a clear consensus favorite coming out of there. So Michigan wouldn't surprise me. Washington, maybe a little bit, because I have to admit, going into the year, I was a little – I I thought Washington was a top-ten team probably. I thought they were very good. 
But I thought I was a little higher on USC uh, and Oregon in the Pac-12. I thought that, you know, with Caleb Williams and the season that USC was coming off of, uh, and then I thought Oregon was a little bit further along, even though Washington had a great season in 2022 as well. Uh, so I, w- I would not have expected him to be here on this Monday night, I have to admit. Hey, Matt, as I uh, as I sit here and assess both teams, Michigan has the defense, the elite defense. And then you look at Washington, and they have the high-powered offense. With everything you know about both teams and what they can offer, which side of the coin would you rather have in this matchup? I, I tell you what, I think, and this is the reason why I give them the advantage to, to win this game tonight, I would take Michigan because of the physicality up front on both sides of the ball and the ability to run and, I think, keep that explosive Washington offense off the field. This is the best and most explosive passing game Michigan has faced all season. Um, I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. is as good, if not better, than Roma Dunze and Jalen Polk, obviously. Uh, but Kyle Accord was not throwing the ball and having to have a season the way Michael Penix Jr. is. Um, so this is the most explosive downfield passing game that Michigan will face. But I, I would take Michigan because I, I think games are, are more than likely won up front, and I think they'll be able to control the clock enough offensively where they're not re- overly reliant on throwing the ball and having J.J. McCarthy make a ton of plays. And they'll also be able to get some pressure on Michael Penix Jr., whose pocket movement and pocket presence is very good, but he's not the most mobile guy. So I think that's how they'll be able to slow Washington down just enough uh, to win. Matt, how much do you consider, because, you know, I think a lot of people are thinking the same way you are with the physicality of Michigan, especially up front on that defensive line. But every time we've kind of had that narrative about Washington, whether it be against Oregon either time, whether it be against Texas and their, uh, their really highly touted defensive line as well, Washington has answered the bell with their offensive line that was named the best in the country this year how I guess at what point do you just kind of have to throw your hands up and be like maybe Michigan is as physical it just doesn't look the way that we think it does yeah I mean I will say this Washington has handled every single challenge that's been thrown at them even when the experts and Vegas uh, haven't really thought they'd be capable I mean Keep in mind, this team, after beating Oregon in the regular season, was still a sizable underdog to them mm-hmm. in the Pac-12 title game, uh, and they handled th- that game. The- Texas was favored against them in the Sugar Bowl. So this is not something that they are not used to and, and functioning again. And if, if I'm – listen, you might have hinted at what, you know, Kalen DeBear's uh, messages to his team, he might be saying to them, hey, listen, you know, this is just another game where we're being doubted. We're, we are being looked at as a team that is lacking up front. We're looking at it as a team that, you know, doesn't have the ingredients to, to beat uh, a, a, the favorite. And, you know, th- that could work for Washington. I mean, it's worked for them thus far, and that's why I, I, you can't just count them tonight. As I um, kind of like uh, 
have watched both the teams, both of these teams play all season, Matt. Um, you you had said it right at the very beginning that Michigan was kind of like that team that everybody knew about, or at least could consider to be a national title contender. And then you had Washington kind of off the beaten path. But is it as simple as? I was looking at the top 100 players in college football. So here's where my question's going. Um, you look at what Washington has, okay, and they have Penix, Odunze, and Johnson. Penix is number two. Odunze is, is number seven in college football. But when you look at Michigan, they kind of have guys like all over the place in the top 100. They have a linebacker. They have a tackle. They have an offensive lineman. They have, of course, the quarterback. They have Blake Corum. And when you look at Washington, like, did you ever envision them doing it again? Uh, with this same group because like that's kind of how I thought like maybe they were just like a oh it just kind of happened right because when you get that a lot with teams that aren't often in this position you're like oh well maybe this is like that one-off year where they do it were you surprised they actually did it twice and were able to come back and, and, and get this far a little bit and I think that might be you know goes back to what you first asked me about if I expect them to be here at this point in the year um I thought they would be good again, don't get me wrong, but, I, you know, it is tough. I mean, when you look at what they've done, they went 11-2 and two last year with, a you know, a bowl win over, over Texas, and now they're 14. You know, 25-2 and two in a two-year span is really, really hard to do in college football. And that staying power uh, is, is impressive, especially when you consider, you know, that they have been tested – this year by going – and the past two years, really, because the Pac-12 has been underrated, I think, uh, the past two years when you look at, at some of the teams it's turned out. To me, I think what makes them a little bit uh, of, the, of an outlier, besides coaching and besides, you know, things like – and maybe some guys being underrated that they were able to capitalize on throughout the roster, I think that they have – with Michael Penix Jr., a guy who has a, a veteran in every sense of the word, quarterback who's been around uh, college football forever. Uh, and I, again, I, this take, I think there was another, I'm not the first person to say this. I think that Bud Elliott uh, from 247 and CBS might have said this that there's room for a team to kind of overcome that so called blue chip ratio or lack of elite roster talent over with a transfer quarterback with experience uh, at this time, considering all the guys with COVID extra years. And I think that's what happened with Michael Penix Jr. You know, he's a guy who had played a lot of football in Indiana, and now he's in his sixth year of college, and he's playing out of his mind. And I think that is what has enabled Washington to have that staying power when maybe they weren't expected to because they've had a, a quarterback who is, you know, 23 years old, going to be 24 later this year with all that experience, and he's been able to uh, capitalize on that. Obviously, they have pieces around them, the receivers. They have a really good offensive line, but I think that having that talent at the most elite the most important position in football has enabled them to overachieve, so to speak. We're talking with Matt Lodick of thespun.com. Matt, you mentioned the coaching a little bit earlier in this matchup. Obviously, Jim Harbaugh, one of the uh, best coaches in the college game, constantly mentioned for NFL jobs. We'll see what his future holds after tonight. 
But then on the other side, you've got Kalen DeBoer, who has done absolutely nothing but win every place he has been. And so that leads me to the question, who do you think has the coaching advantage tonight? You know, I know, I know it sounds kind of cliche, but I don't really know. And I, I think I said DeBear. I meant to say DeBoer. I'm sorry before. But uh, um, I think uh, I think they both are really good at what they do. And they really have established identity for their team. Washington, uh, they're good up front. They have an explosive offense. And it's not just Kalen DeBoer, but Ryan Grubb also at mm-hmm. – uh, as the offensive coordinator, has done a tremendous job. Uh, Jim Harbaugh has been able to make tweaks and changes to his philosophies over the years um, at Michigan that have, I think have been, enabled them to go from kind of being that team that people think underachieves or did underachieve to to really being elite. Um, but, you know, when when you look at what they have, uh, he's always going to be physical up front. They're always going to have a strong run game. Uh, defense is always going to be a priority, whether it was with Mike McDonald or now it's with you know Jesse Minter. I think Sharon Moore's done a great job as a coordinator this year. You know, not just when he had to fill in as the head coach, but also with play calling. I think that it showed in the Rose Bowl. I don't know if there is a a coaching advantage in terms of, well, one guy's really that much better X and O's or one guy's really built his program that much uh, more than the other. I think it's kind of just a little bit about both guys are really good at what they've done and have built the programs and the image they want, and now it's about who is able to do more on one night on the biggest stage. Matt, you mentioned some of the key assistants, the coordinators, mentor and more for uh, Michigan if if Jim Harbaugh were to move on, do you think they'd look internally to just kind of keep the train rolling sort of the way Notre Dame did with Marcus Freeman? Or do you think they'd look outside and try and bring in a big fish nationally? It's such an interesting question because historically Michigan has been about the Michigan man. Mm-hmm. And they've tried to fill um, either from within, you know, with guys like Lloyd Carr um, or they've tried to fill with guys who had ties to Michigan, um, whether it was you know uh, you know Brady Hoke or, or obviously Jim Harbaugh was the big fish that they tried to land and, and did land in 2015. Um, it, it's str- it's tough because I think Sharon Moore and Jesse Minter have earned themselves head coaching consideration, but. You're looking at a program that's coming off three straight Big Ten titles, three straight college football playoff appearances, at, at the very least a national title game appearance, and possibly a national championship if they win tonight. That's high expectations. And if if Harbaugh does leave, Michigan fans will be disappointed, but he's already a legend in their eyes. Mm-hmm. He's you know restored the program. He's won the first national title in, in, in a little more than a quarter century. And, and he'll always, he'll be good in Ann Arbor forever. But how do you keep that going? Because they're going to want to keep that going. They're going to want to keep up this recent domination of Ohio State. They're going to want to keep up the ability to compete nationally. Obviously, you're not going to win the Big Ten every year. You're not going to win national championships or be in the college football playoff every year. But you want to be able to do it consistently. You don't want to go into the doldrums that they kind of went into under Rich Rodriguez and under Hoke. 
before Jim Harbaugh came. So that's where I think it, it, it really becomes a fascinating choice. I could see them promoting internally, and I think, like I said, both those guys have earned the right to get head coaching consideration somewhere this offseason. Uh, but I also think there's going to be the temptation to go out and get a bigger name, whoever that might be, to kind of keep up with the brand and keep up with the trajectory that the, the program has reestablished lately. Matt, same question, other side of the sideline, or, or at least a follow-up to your response there. How does Washington keep it going without Michael Penix and Roma Dunze next season? It's going to be a huge test. You know, it's going to be a very big test, especially if, you know, uh, we talked about, uh, I mentioned Ryan Grubb my last answer. Is he somebody who gets mm-hmm. some looks uh to run his own program now. You know, he's been an assistant at the college level for almost 20 years in different, different, for, uh, for different programs and in different roles. And now, you know, he's starting to get some, uh, some accolades and some recognition. So if they lose him too, and this is just clearly hypothetical, I'm not saying, you know, he's a candidate anywhere yet. They would also be replacing an OC. Um, they're going into a new conference. They're going to be playing Michigan in the regular season next year. So it's going to be a, an adjustment period for them. I think that it might be a little tougher for them to kind of keep this rolling without a reload year or a rebuild year, maybe not in 2024, but at some point, you know, it, it, it seems likely. But, again, this is, you know, they won't have panics, but this is what I said about, a program that has found its identity, found what it wants to be under, you know, Kalen DeBoer, who's done nothing but win no matter where he's at. So I think he'll be able to keep Washington among one of the better programs in the country. It just it wouldn't surprise me if they do take a step back at some point, even for just a year to kind of rebuild things. We're talking with Matt Hlodick from thespun.com. I do want to stay on DeBoer here for a second, Matt. You know, I asked Andrew this question last week. And I know I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, uh, but as you look at what DeBoer's done at Washington, how how many coaches in the country would you actually take over him? If you're an AD, you've got an open job, you can basically hire whoever you want. How many guys are on the list before him? Because I feel like the more I watch him, the shorter and shorter that list gets. Great question. Um, I mean, looking around, obviously, I'm t- I would take Harbaugh over him, okay. uh, just because of the, the big the track record of success. Uh, even though maybe that seems a little bit of uh, the opposite of what I said, neither team has a coaching advantage. But I, I think that starting a program or, or hiring a, a coach for a program, I would take Harbaugh. You know, I would take obviously Nick Saban um, for everything he's accomplished, mm-hmm. and then it becomes a little bit. Uh, after that, it really becomes, you know, you're not, you're, there's some arguments to be made on both sides. Now, I will say this. Kalen DeBoer has mostly coached, um, it, on the, he's coached a lot on the West Coast and the Midwest. So you wonder, okay, would you hire him in the SEC? Sure. sure. Uh, you know, how would he work there? So there's definitely that, those like type Like a regional, of yeah. Right. But you look at some of the other programs, that you know have been elite and you know he's he's beaten steve sarkeesian this year um 
you know, Mike Norvell obviously had an outstanding season with Florida State, mm-hmm. but you know, Caitlin DeBoer's put together back-to-back years. Mm-hmm. Um, forgetting Kirby Smart or how I did that, but Kirby Smart, I would take over. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But the I next mean, level of guys like Lanning, Norvell, Sarkeesian, like I think it's a a genuine. I mean, after it is, you get past hard, you get past Saban you know, and Smart. It's a conversation, right? And you know, and then you have guys, you know, like like Lane Kiffin, who have been successful in the SEC and have that regional thing down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get down into, you know, your your Lincoln Rileys, your Brian Kellys, your Brent Venables, and, and, and Ryan Day, guys like that. Um, so it's and we've seen in a lot of cases college football, outside of a few guys, it, it does kind of rely a lot on circumstance and, and location and culture and things like that. But he's certainly put himself among the elite of the elite in the country with what he's done the last couple of years. Matt, I kind of want to change gears here and talk a little college basketball, um, and I want to I want to hit home with you first because in about ten days. Our Nebraska Cornhuskers will be finding their way into uh, your homeland. Uh, yeah. They'll be taking on Rutgers in Piscataway. And, you know, we say it all the time, but you got to live it. Piscataway is such a hard place to play. Like, it's for any team to go in there and, and play basketball, it, it is a ridiculously difficult place to play. Why is that? And, you know, it's funny because when I, gra- I graduated from Rutgers in 2009, and for the last couple of years, but when I was in college and then for uh, several years after that, it wasn't always a tough place to play. The <laughs> program was down. They would pull an upset occasionally, yes, but you know the home court advantage that you, you saw a little bit under Gary Waters in the early 2000s uh, and Kevin Bannon in the late 90s, and now you see with Steve Peichel the last several years, hasn't been, it wasn't there. N- now, with that being said, the the rack started to lose a little bit of its luster last year. Um, when you look at what happened last season when Rutgers struggled in the last month, uh, Nebraska beat them in Piscataway. Mm-hmm. Michigan beat them in Piscataway. Northwestern completely outplayed them and beat them in Piscataway. They've lost several games like that at home. So, um, listen, this year they have not played – well at all it's it's a down year and i know they have the hype from the recruiting class coming in next year um but it hasn't been a, a strong year for them and they they were handled by illinois in their biggest home game of the year so far nebraska obviously has been a little bit of the talk of the of the conference you know this year they've been you know they're two and two in league play but 12 and three overall trying to push for a, a tournament berth um and i think that you know they'll get. They have a. You know, obviously the blowout win over Indiana was nice. They'll get tested at home tomorrow night against Purdue, number one team in the country. Then they go to Iowa, tough place to play. So don't you'll learn a lot about Nebraska these next week or two, this next week or two. Um, but I think that I think that Nebraska has the better team this year. What will be tough to tough to play there is if Rutgers catches a game where it shoots well like it did against Seton Hall. It's one of the worst shooting teams in the country, but sometimes you get a night at home where, where things are clicking and you're making baskets. Then it can become a tougher place to play because really from just a, a sheer acoustic standpoint, what makes it so hard is that it's small. The, the fans are right on top of you. The roof 
takes in all the sound and keeps it in, traps it, so you feel like you're you're playing just in a uh, a maelstrom. That is Matt Lodick from thespun.com. Matt, we appreciate your time and uh, hope you enjoy the national championship game tonight. You too, guys. I think it's going to be a fun one. I, I think unlike last year where we got you know domination, I think this is going to be uh, a back and forth affair that, that is decided in the fourth quarter. You want to give us a Definitely. score prediction? Definitely. You want to throw one out there? I will. I will go. I'm going with Michigan 28, Washington 24. There we go. That's Matt Lodick from thespun.com. He's got Michigan with the win, but not the cover. Very important yeah, there. because good teams win and great teams <laughs> cover. Great teams cover. Yes, yes, they do. Matt, we appreciate your time. We'll catch up again soon. Anytime, fellas. Thanks, man. That's Matt Lodick from thespun.com. Uh, we've, we're going to give our picks and previews coming up next here. Really interesting stuff there from Matt on the national championship game. I'm fascinated. I, asked, I know we asked a lot of questions about the coaches and the coaching matchups, but that to me is one of the more fascinating storylines here. The rising star of Kalen DeBoer, the established guy of Jim Harbaugh, who may be coaching his last game at Michigan tonight. I don't think that's out of the question. In fact, maybe that's the betting favorite at this point. I don't know. We'll talk more about that <laughs> next here on Hurt at Sports Radio.